to a new series from the Messy Reformation. There's been a lot of discussion and deliberation coming out of Synod 2022 around issues of sexuality. Much of the discussion has focused on whether the decisions made were good or bad, helpful or hurtful. However, Synod made some other declarations that we need to pay attention to. Synod repeatedly encouraged churches throughout the CRC to start having discussions about what it looks like to do pastoral care with those who are sexually struggling. Synod stated that the Human Sexuality Report offered sound introductory guidance for churches that should serve as conversation starters on how to best do pastoral care in these circumstances. Synod also stated that continuing conversation around pastoral care might have a powerful influence on elements of congregational life, such as gospel preaching, faith formation, the diaconate, our missional calling, the sacraments, and church discipline. With these strong encouragements from Synod for continued conversation on the topic of pastoral care for the sexually struggling, the Messy Reformation has decided to begin having some of those conversations, and we plan on dropping these episodes every Wednesday evening. We want to state right away at the beginning of each episode that we view these conversations as the beginning of a conversation. There's no way we can comprehensively discuss every element of pastoral care in such a small period of time. However, we want to start having the conversation and build from here. It's also important to remember that conversations go both ways. We don't want these conversations to remain between the people on the podcast. We want you to get involved as well. As you're listening to these conversations, we would love for you to be in conversation with us. We'd love for you to write down any questions, concerns, or pushback you may have, or anything you really loved about each episode. Then send that feedback to us at themessyreformation at gmail.com. We'll use your feedback to help us build future episodes to further answer your questions and concerns and then further the conversation. We're really excited about the opportunity to begin moving this conversation forward in a way that equips the saints, builds up the church, and brings glory and honor to God. So, get your pens and journals and enjoy the next conversation in our series, Pastoral Care for the Sexually Struggling. day something else happened um i forget which one of the guys in this group of of friends read this passage uh but he was a he was reading in hebrews and it, it suddenly hit him he said you know we do accountability exactly the same way as we would if we'd never met jesus at all and he goes what if what if there's something better that we actually have at our disposal um i think in the church one of the things we have a a really stunted view of pastoral care in part because for a long time, merely pouring shame on it worked. Um, I am, I, many people are not porn addicts for the same reason that I am not a heroin addict. Um, and that has to do with availability. When I was here, here's everything I had to do to avoid being a heroin addict. I had to know it was bad and say no twice in my entire life. That's it. Now things might be very different for me though. If, uh, if during the lowest points of my life, somebody had been there with it and offering me and making the case for it. And that's exactly what porn has sprung to. It's gone from the dial-up connection in my parents' basement to uh, literally in every pocket. Um, the availability is insanely pervasive, such that if, unless you actively try to cut yourself off, your access is going to be there. Um, and so for a long time, the church could just say, uh, you should feel bad about this. It's awful. Don't do it. And that would work most of the time. 
And access was restricted enough that they wouldn't be porn addicts for the same reason that they wouldn't be heroin addicts. Um, not to say, by the way, we don't have heroin addicts in the church. We absolutely do, but you get the parallel. Um, and we started doing things differently. We started talking in this group and, um, we, we looked at Matthew 18 in particular, uh, as well. We started having our conversations differently. And this is where we, we realized there was an untapped power in the gospel that we weren't looking into before. And this is when I'm not going to pretend that this is a nice story and everything changed overnight. I mean, it was more a progress of fits and starts, but something broke free um, in several of us. And the conversation started going like this. We'd sit in a circle and say, how, you know, how did it go? Or it could just be, these are people who have permission to ask in your life. My wife included can ask anytime to this day, how's your relationship with porn? And we'd ask one another this. Um, and if everything was going well, First of all, addicts are liars. And so uh, we'd go, awesome. Is that actually true? And uh, mm-hmm. once in a while, we'd actually have a guy go, okay, no, it's totally not. It's, it's, it's not. Um, because the first thing you have to be before you can be an addict is a liar. You, you have to be. If you break that, you can actually break the addiction um, in good order. Um, but we sat in a circle. Whenever anybody would confess, we wouldn't say, all right, you got to do better than that, man. Come on, I got your back. Do better, do better. Uh, instead it was, uh, how do you feel about that? You know, I, I honestly, I feel terrible or I feel numb or I, I feel nothing at all. Um, okay. How does God feel about that? And usually God absolutely hates it. He hates me. And, uh, if it didn't seem like that had an impact, uh, somebody might say, well, tell me more about what do you mean by that? Tell me why, why does he hate this? And we, cause sometimes you have to revisit that. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, you know, the person's feeling disempowered and they go like, he hates it and I can barely face him. Go, okay. Did he, did he know this about you when he went to a cross? D- do you think that he knowingly did that for you? And we'd have this conversation dozens of times, by the way, you'd think this gets old. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Um, and you go, you go, somebody would go, yes, he did. But, and we go, okay, uh, shut up. You stop with the butt part. Just, y- yes, he did. Um, do you trust that? I don't care about how you feel. Do you trust that? Yeah, I do. And then we would tell the truth. We'd say, okay, look, I'm going to open up a passage to you. And sometimes it'd be as simple as John 3.16. Not everybody in the circle was a theologian. Uh, we go, look, um, God has saved you regardless of, of what you've done. Um, he forgives you. He loves you. And you know, even if you're messing up again, he's got that calculated into the mix too. He loves you. I love you. Um, And the way he sees you is perfectly clean. That's how I'm going to choose to see you. Now, how can I help? Now, that simple reminder of, it's one thing to be told God forgives you broadly. It's another thing to have somebody point at what you think is one of the worst things you've ever done and say, God forgives that. And when you have another Christian stand in the place of Christ and look into that thing that you hate and choose not to run away screaming and stand in the place of Christ and operate in a priestly role and proclaim the blood of Jesus over it, Um, that is something else entirely. And what happened over time is that, um, I'll speak for myself here, but I mean, it was, it wasn't just me. Um, porn began loosening its grip. I'm not going to pretend that the struggle stopped. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm not still tempted to this day. I mean, I will tell you, uh, when I go to bed, when my wife goes to bed before me, she's taking my phone with her and my Wi-Fi connection is frankly, it's wired into the church and that's enough fear because I know, (laughs) I know who the IT guy is and that's enough of a deterrent. We're not stupid. 
um, mm-hmm. my flesh is still going to fight me. And I'm not going to lie about that. But what's going to happen is something starts happening in your heart at the seat of your desires, um, not just your feelings, your desires um, that starts to transform. And it, every time you get in that fight with porn, it gives you the edge. And it starts to get weaker and you start to get stronger. And um, over time, I I experienced greater and greater freedom to the point now where I I can talk about it shamelessly because it's just, it's not who or what I am anymore. Um, Now, what's instructive about that is that I think it's easy to get really discouraged looking out at the world about how prevalent this is. I mean, when I sit down with either a teenager, heck, if I'm hiring a male employee, I don't even ask, uh, do you have a problem with porn? My, I don't even, or have you ever, I just presume the sale and then they can correct me. I'll just go, uh, how's your relationship with porn going? And I'll just catch them off guard and I'll just go there. And I can, because I'll be twice as open myself. And I think I, I think I'm a worse sinner than the person I'm talking to no matter what, but I will just go there um, and the truth is it's so prevalent that it's, it's every, I mean, it's, I think it's upwards of 93% of men will admit on a survey that they are, or have struggled with this. I mean, it's just everywhere. So it's easy to get really discouraged, but I think that there's a vast untapped resource for us in the repeating and the power of the gospel in that moment that's just not being used. And that actually that's actually really encouraging to me. It would be discouraging to me if we were already employing that and it was still uh, such a massive problem because then there's nothing you can do. But when I find out, oh, good, we're, we're screwing this up royally. There's still a lot left we can do. I get really excited because maybe that means that things can change. Yeah, amen. Yeah, and I, I really just appreciate the the contrast that you brought with, you know, the way, you know, and I remember growing up in this kind of environment in the church as well where, we were always trying to motivate people by guilt. It was guilt about everything. I mean, even like trying to get Sunday school teachers, like we didn't have Sunday school teachers. The response was, well, do you hate the children? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are, you know, it was like this guilt kind of a motivation and, and it worked and it works. And I remember, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Tim Keller. Uh, It sounds like something Tim Keller would have said anyways that like guilt motivation only works. You you only run away from guilt far enough that you stop feeling guilty and then you stop. And yeah, um, for sure. Um, rather than, so motivation needs to change from running away from guilt to running toward something more beautiful. And, uh, and that's more of a gospel centered uh, type of motivation where you're running towards something. Um, because then you keep running. Otherwise, guilt, yeah, you just run until you stop and then it creeps up on you and then you run a little bit further. And so um that is absolutely the case. Yeah. 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 And it's huge, not I mean, I think that's huge in all of our pastoral care encounters, but but really in particular, I would say even with this issue of of porn usage, trying to help people move beyond the guilt to see something beautiful. I think even John Piper has said, you know, we overcome sin by by um, grabbing hold of something more beautiful than uh, than our own sin. And so um, that's what you're seeing. And that's what you even were seeing in that young man who was looking at yeah. your relationship saying, wait, that's really good. I want that. How can I get that? Rather than, hey, I feel really guilty about this. How can I get this guilt off of me? He's like, no, I see something beautiful and I want to head there. 
Well, and when you see that beautiful, when you see something that beautiful, you realize how sinful sin really is. I don't think he knew how terrible porn really was until he saw somewhere where it was absent. Right. And, yeah. you know, to your point, when you say, you know, that, um, you're hear, hearing that all over the, we used to have a, a, a guilt motivational complex and now we're realizing it turns out the cross actually saves and sanctifies, man, what an original concept that, you know, the recapturing of that is there, there's a lot of people are discouraged about in the church right now. And I get that I, even energy post COVID right now is at a low ebb. Um, people are still recovering on a level that I don't think they know how to articulate yet. Mm-hmm. And so I need encouragement as much as the next guy. Um, I would say the thing that encourages me most that's going on in the church right now is the recovery of what you just said. It seems like there's this, there's this building resurgence of what, what do we have that the world doesn't offer? And what we have is an entirely new motivational structure for change, a better vision for your life. Um, and a savior so glorious that when you see him, the things of earth get strangely dim. There's a clarity in that that's starting to emerge that excites me. And I don't know where that goes. And I'm not going to pretend that negative trends all go away. Um, but every time I hear somebody talk like you just talked, that gets me so excited because I, I think that's another, I think there's so much more power in the gospel than what it is that we have been using and, and laying hold of. And I'm curious to see where that leads. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to me um, because I think, um, and I, I, you know, I try to be careful because I don't. I'm not trying to like rip on previous generations or anything. No, of course but, not. But I do think, uh, just my own experience, we haven't embraced the power of the gospel for a while. We haven't realized like the gospel does change hearts, and it's the yeah. only thing that changes hearts. And then hearts are what need to be changed for lives to be changed. You know, I say this all the time. So hearts need to be changed for lives to be changed, to families to be changed, to churches and communities. But it's really at the core, the gospel has to do that. It's not some external external thing. And uh, and I'm seeing yeah. churches pick up on that uh, more and more, not just... Uh, you know, there's been this gospel-centered movement for a while, and I saw people saying, like, well, we just need to be gospel-centered, but I haven't seen people understanding the core power of being gospel-centered, and I'm seeing that that come through more and more in people, and that that is exciting. And I think just what you were saying, um, to, to kind of bring this back around to, to doing pastoral care for those struggling with porn, just realizing the gospel has something to say here as well, and it has power yeah. to break those chains of addiction. And that's not, you know, there's been a lot of ministry jargon that gets thrown around in a faddish fashion. I mean, it used to be, and these are great, great words. They're filled with great meaning, but that just turns into jargon, things like missional um, or, um, you know, even go back to things as as corny as the word extreme being thrown around in teenager ministries years, years ago. I'm sure you never did that. That wouldn't, you probably never had an extreme youth retreat, of course. Um, and there wouldn't be any evidence of that. So we're just going to leave that where it is. But um there's a lot of substance to what it means to be gospel centered that goes beyond kind of a fad or a jargon. I, I, I see that as a movement, not just a, a fad. Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, I, I think there's a lot more to be mined there and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I think a helpful conversation to have, especially when we're talking with pastoral care for someone who's uh, struggling with porn usage I think some people, when they're doing pastoral care, um, 
you know, we're all, I guess, not just some people, we're all impatient at our core, right? The person we're pastoring, pastoring is impatient. They want to be fixed now, but also as the pastor doing the care, we want that person to be fixed now. Well, and and by the way, there's different rules for me than for other people. I know God sanctifies other people slowly, uh, but I've made a very compelling argument to him why that shouldn't work that way with me. I'm waiting for him to listen. Um, Also that he shouldn't use suffering to grow me. Um, So far, he seems to disagree. It's funny. I, I, even if I normalize that with everybody else, we can be impatient, but with me, everything's gotta be overnight. It can't be a long March. Uh, It's so hard to shake. Yeah. And so like for you, I mean, it, you, I, you, I'm sure you don't necessarily have like hard uh, timelines, but how long did you say it was before you really felt, um, I know you, you said like, you know, it's still a struggle, but like how, when you felt like, Hey, I'm free from this. So hmm. when you, t- it's, it's hard to draw specific lines because like, like all recovery, it is a process. There's a saying in recovery communities, you know, if you, if, if you walked uh, 20 miles out, it's going to be 20 miles back. Um, and so the whole thing is going to be a process. Um, I would say, here's the funny thing. The moment we started really preaching the gospel to each other, I would say the freedom was immediate. The knowledge that um, this doesn't have a hold on me hit immediately. And it wasn't one of these false hope things that, you know, sometimes you get like really emboldened, like this will be the way week I'm going to begin to lose the weight. I'm determined now. And then five minutes later, that mood passes. It wasn't like that. Um, I mean, we really did have an experience of, of there's something very much different that at work in us that we're beginning to tap into. Um, and so the freedom was immediate. Now you can, you can, in low moments, you can begin to deny and forget that. But if you surround yourself with people who will remind you, um, it's different. So the, the good news is the freedom comes right away. The idea that a different set of desires is growing in me um, was right away. Now, when you talk about, there is a, I think another line that you cross uh, one line that you cross is where you've started to become free enough, where you start to see unexpected results of um you know, like if you get clean from alcohol, if you, even if you don't drink that much, if you stop drinking for a month, you'll all of a sudden start noticing the health benefits. Um, the first line we crossed was even when we were able to, we're, we're fighting enough that we're successful most of the time. Um, you start to notice all of the unexpected things you didn't know that it was doing to you. I would say that was one of the first things that gives you a big boost as well. Um, I would say another, another point is where you're no longer fully relapsing. Um, if you were to ask me, uh, you know, what, what's your relationship with porn right now? First of all, that, you know, obviously that, that'd be a sensitive question for me to answer. Cause what if I disqualify myself on error? And I, you know, to so that, I would say, um, should I fear my elders or the one who can destroy flesh and blood, uh, and, and destroy body and soul, right? That's, that's what the scriptures would say. So I'm just going to be completely honest here. Um, I've crossed a line where, uh, no longer the relapses just aren't, aren't there. Uh, which is good because if they are, that's something I should talk to my elders about. I should place myself mm-hmm. under their care. Um, and by the way, if, if you're afraid to do that, um, I, I would say don't be. Um, I, I would say fear God more. Um, yeah. It's better for you. Um, but you know, to say to say that like, okay, this has absolutely nothing to do with my life anymore. That wouldn't be entirely honest either, because our culture is getting so sexualized that there isn't a clear line between where you're going to see nudity and where you're not. Um, 
to say that I can avoid um, any possible encounter with something I don't want to see, I don't think anybody does. Um, so I can be watching a Netflix show and suddenly there, there's a surprise. I'm sitting there with my wife and I'd be lying if I said that for a moment, my imagination no longer takes hold of that and goes somewhere where it shouldn't. Um, I'd be lying if I said that if I, if, if I'm on Reddit, um, that I couldn't take the first step and almost clicking into something that I shouldn't, but I don't. Uh, so to say that, like, I don't want to pretend that, you know, you just draw a line and you get out there and it's no longer a struggle and you're no longer, your eyes don't even wander into anything. Um, you know, in this life, you're always going to be fighting your flesh. Um, but there was a line that I reached. It was probably took, uh, I would say maybe two and a half or three years actually, where I suddenly realized that, I wasn't at a point where I was losing any battles when it comes to seeking this out and where I was, I was no longer. And even if I accidentally stumbled across something, I wasn't clicking three layers deep into places. I shouldn't be, I'd catch myself before I'd fall all the way down. And I, you know, I'd immediately go, God, I just saw something I didn't want to see. I shouldn't see, um, help me with my imagination because I'm stuck, but, um, but not actually going, going in and you're not a user anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I would say for me, that process took two and a half to three years. Now, on the other hand, I've seen it where that can go much, much faster. Um, if people are willing to take uh, drastic steps, uh, part of me wishes I'd have taken more drastic steps, you know, even eliminating a smartphone from my life, especially now that smartphones have become as toxic as they are. Um, mm -hmm. I had an app for filtering and that's fine. Uh, but depending on that is not your, your support system is where it's going to be. You're going to have to build up your kind of immune response to porn. You're, you're not going to just be able to restrict access. That's a good part of your plan, but that can't be your plan. Um, I know one guy who really boldly it's man, I, I respect him to the heavens. Um, basically just immediately he confessed to his wife and he said, all right, for this period of time, um, I'm going back to a flip phone and I don't even have social media. I don't even know if the guy barely accesses the internet much. And, um, you know, we're all like, Oh, how, how do you live that way? And he, and he's like, yeah, it's terrible feeling healthy, undistracted and undepressed and not being destroyed by a constant 24 hour news cycle. However, am I going to manage? Um, but that, I mean, I would, that's roughly the timeline. I know I'm spinning around a bit, but it's, it's hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, it is helpful to know that it's different for everybody too. Right. So, yeah. Um, but I, but I just thought it would be helpful for people because if you're thinking like, Hey, I'm going to sit down and do a five week, uh, you know, five weeks of pastoral care with this person, and by the end, they're going to have it kicked. Um, yeah. you're going to be disappointed and so are they. And so I think it's helpful to come in on the front end and uh and say like hey this is going to be a long journey this is going to be a long marathon and uh we're in this together and uh let's let's walk our way out of this yeah for and, sure and then for you're sure. setting you know then if things go quicker than you expected then you're then you're then you're pleasantly surprised right but otherwise you're both settling in for a long term a long term uh discipleship a yeah, long it's hard. obedience in the same direction right it's hard because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to tell somebody, um, like, all right, so day one, you're trying to quit. I just want you to know you're going to fail at that and, uh, keep, but, um, I do. Cause sometimes look, I have, I have seen only in one case, but I've seen somebody go cold Turkey and absolutely kick it. And it was obvious too, like really obvious. It was almost, it was, this was a heavy user. It was almost like watching someone quit alcohol. It transformed them. 
Um, and yeah, it was mind blowing. And, uh, so I don't want to tell someone that's not possible, but I do want to be present when they fall to let them know um, this is going to be a long fight. At the very least, I would warn people like your, your, uh, your heart's going to change. You're going to be in a battle with your flesh forever. That's just how it is. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell them that without telling them up front that they're going to fail. I can't say I've mastered that yet. I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to set expectations, right? I, I've I've talked about that quite a bit, and how you set those expectations of like, yeah, you are probably going to fail in this, and when you do, there's forgiveness for that too. And I'm right here with you, right? And just to set those expect, because I think especially young men, and especially if they're really starting to kind of get on fire, you know, uh, one of the things I've I've recognized with a lot of young men, they're they're really getting on fire for the Lord. And they immediately fall into this kind of legalism, right? Where they're like, I am going to live in a way, you know, everything about me is going to, I'm going to be the ultimate Christian, like the green beret Christian, right? And then they don't live up to that. And then they, and then they feel like a failure. And then they sometimes just throw it off. And, uh, and I keep trying to uh, disciple these young men and say, like, you're not a green beret Christian, <laughs> like just be faithful, right? Like if your call is to be faithful and in the midst of that, you're going to fail and thank God that the gospel's there for us when we fail um, over and over and over again. And this is tension of the Christian life, but I haven't really figured out the best way to, to explain it yet because uh, I was just telling some young men I was discipling last week, like on the one hand, we know in the Christian life, we will never be good enough. And that, on one level, that should give us a level of relief. And I know most people are like, well, why I just quit then if I'm never going to be good enough? And it's like, no, you're never going to be good enough. And yet Christ is still there for you in that. And so it's like you're you're walking down the road, you're going to trip, you're going to fall. And Christ's like, yep, get up, dust yourself off, stop wallowing about it. I forgive you. Now, now move on. Keep moving forward in this. Well, and I find, you know, that's it. I find there's, there's something in our imagination that's missing on that end. Um, so on the one hand, we, we believe that, uh, you know, I will, I will never arrive on my own power. And so when people imagine uh, God's expression towards them, there's only, there's only two things. One, there's displeasure with sin. And two, there's, uh, there's the righteousness of Christ. And that's basically just all that they have in mind they, they go like okay so god sees me as righteous because of jesus and when he looks at me he go, goes uh, that's a terrible person um thank goodness there's grace but there's something else in the bible though um i think that god actually begins to celebrate what it is that he's doing in you when you go yeah. into the kingdom i i have a hard time believing that he just says well done my good and faithful servant um and it doesn't have any reference to uh the race that you've been running I, on the one hand, I can't take credit for the change that's happening inside of me. If, if I go to God and go like, you should be impressed, you owe me, uh, that, that doesn't work. Um, on the other hand, I also think that God is immeasurably proud of his children when they're taking steps. I think he's cheering. I, I think he is encouraging. And that image of God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, isn't intended to be just a roundabout congratulations towards Jesus ignoring you. <laughs> um, I... I really do think that um, God is actually proud of his children when they advance. I can't take full credit for it. Um, and, and it doesn't work that way, but it does work that, that God says, I love seeing what my son is doing in you. 
Um, and it's like when I, when I teach my son, when, when it, like my son was learning to walk, um, or my, my son's learning to pro play games, he's not going to be able to do it without holding on to my fingers when he's first getting his balance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm just clapping beyond all, beyond all measure. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're the best. I, I love this. Um, and it's in part because what I'm helping him to do, but I love seeing him grow. And I think we need this more in our imagination as God is not just a, you know, a father that says, uh, well, you were terrible, but thank God I don't have to throw you away or thank me. I don't have to throw you away. I guess. I, I think we have to begin to understand in our imaginations that God is an encouraging father who loves bringing life forth from death, who loves seeing you grow. Um, and is cheering you on in that. Um, I think that God is a proud father um, and we don't think that way enough. That's it for this week's Pastoral Care Conversation. Stay tuned next week to hear Dave Bosher and I talk about the power of church culture in overcoming pornography. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>